we try to be cool, a little bit cooler here. Um, Richard, uh, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and a little bit about your... Thank you for that reminder. We always need that encouragement. If you'd like to, um, before we get into a little bit about what you actually do, which I'd like to talk a little bit about, could you tell us if you... If you had a, a day off that you could just spend any any way that you wanted, what, what would be your ideal day off? Yeah, uh, it uh, usually involves a little bit of exercise early in the morning in some capacity, coming back and having a... great to be with you on this Mother's Day. Thank you for letting me invade your service uh, on this occasion. Uh, we noted in the outline uh, that Iggy was going to preach from Ephesians and I was going to preach on Mother's Day, uh, which uh, is not a Bible passage, it's just Mother's Day. I thought I'd share that with you, just in case you were wondering. Anita Smith was a young mother in her early 30s. She came from Austin, Texas. Together with her husband, Ronnie, and their young son, Hosea, they served as missionaries in Benghazi, Libya. In December of 2013, so that's six years ago, her husband, Ronnie, was tragically gunned down during his morning jog outside his home. He was fatally shot by four unidentified men in a jeep, and he was only 33. He began working at an international school because that's where he was hoping, together with his family, to share this glorious news of Jesus. Not long after his shooting, his wife Anita said that she didn't feel any anger. She didn't want any revenge against her killers, the husband, sorry, the killers of her husband. And in an interview, she said, I just envision the black jeep driving up to him and I don't know their faces. I just want them to know that God loves them and can forgive them. There's another missionary who was a missionary in India. Amy Carmichael is her name. As she once wrote, a cup brimful of sweet water cannot spill even one drop of bitter water however suddenly jolted. And Anita Smith's life was suddenly jolted. But all she could spill was the sweet water of the offer of forgiveness. The offer of forgiveness. I mean, what gives birth to this kind of forgiveness? This offer of forgiveness. 
Some of us have been hurt enormously by people who have clearly wronged us. And I suspect you know how deep Anita Smith had to dig in order to offer forgiveness. But my guess is that most of us will not experience offences on that scale. But we will offend people. And we will be offended by people. And if we are honest, we know that true forgiveness is never easy. Even at a much smaller scale, it is never easy. And so as we begin to look at this story of forgiveness, can you join me in praying again that God will so do a deep work in our hearts that we will respond to what it is that he has to say on this subject? Please pray with me. Oh, we thank you, dear Father, for this Mother's Day. And no matter how we're feeling, We pray, Father, that you might help us to think something that is aligned with what you have taught us in this part of the Bible and to live accordingly as we plummet the deep recesses of your heart on this subject of forgiveness. And may we look to Jesus Pray this for his sake. Amen. In this true story of Jesus, we meet a woman who is truly forgiven and a man who needs forgiveness. And as we do so, it's my prayer that we will see why Jesus brings ultimate forgiveness, the kind of forgiveness that Anita Smith drew her sweet water from. Now, as we read... Jesus was invited to dine in the home of a Pharisee whose name we discover is Simon. Now he, Jesus, was invited to recline at the table with Simon, which was a sign of intimate fellowship because that's what we do when we have meals. In fact, we have meals to have fellowship and I don't need to persuade you of that when I look out at the fact that most of us here are Asian. We know about food, don't we? And food is important to us. Jesus is invited to recline at the table. Now, it's important to know that, that reclining at the table means you know, lying down on the ground. They didn't have tables and chairs in those days. And so when the woman comes in to do her thing, it's not as if she's crawling the, underneath the table and wondering, oh, I wonder which feet Jesus's are to do her thing. He's reclining at the table. His, his feet are kind of projecting out from the table. So let's meet this truly forgiven woman. If you've got your Bibles open there, please have a look at the small number 37 or verse 37. And what do we learn about this woman? Listen carefully if you haven't got a Bible in front of you. And I read, A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now, firstly note, we don't know exactly what made her a sinner. 
But what is clear is that everybody knew that she was a sinner. It was trending on Facebook or Twitter. She was amongst the unforgivables. She was a sinner of the first degree. And I wonder whether you've ever met a woman like that or met anyone like that, let alone a woman like that. Some years ago, I read an account of a particular woman in a book called What's So Amazing About Grace by Philip Yancey. Have you read that book? Have you read that book? Okay, a handful of us have. So this is the account I read in that book where Philip Yancey writes that he met this woman who was homeless and sick, unable to buy food for her two-year-old daughter. And through sobs and tears, she told him that she had been renting out her two-year-old daughter for kinky sex. Because she said she made more money renting her daughter out per hour than she could earn on her own per night. And she said she had to do it in order to support her own drug habit. I don't know how that makes you feel. But I wonder whether you rightly have a sense of outrage or anger. Because that's appropriate, isn't it? How could you possibly do that to your two-year-old daughter? What words come to your mind to describe such a person? Maybe unforgivable. Because that's precisely what we would have felt towards this woman, I take it. And this unforgivable woman gate crashes the party and then does the most amazing thing. She stands at the feet of Jesus. She's weeping. She's overwhelmed with tears and then she wets Jesus' feet with her tears and then wipes them with her hair and then kisses his feet before pouring perfume on them. And why does she do that? We'll come back to that. But for now, look at how the Pharisee responds. Look at verse 39, small 39. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. It's implying that Jesus can't be a prophet because if he knew that this woman was a sinner, he would not have let her get anywhere near him, let alone touch him. Now, I wonder how you feel about the Pharisee now. Now, before we point the finger at how this Pharisee responds, we've got to remember there's three fingers pointing back at ourselves when we do that, don't we? Come back to that story, that incredibly sad story I shared with you of this mum who was renting out her daughter. She was asked if she ever thought of going to church for help. And there was a look of pure 
naive shock on her face. Church, she cried. Church? Why would I ever go there? I was already feeling terrible about myself. Church would only make me feel worse. Now, don't you think that's sad? Because women much like this prostitute fled towards Jesus. They didn't flee away from Jesus. They flew towards Jesus. And the worse a person felt about themselves, the more likely they saw Jesus as a refuge. But they don't think about church that way necessarily. And I wonder how they might have responded to this church. It's my first time here. I'm not meaning to insult you in any way, shape or form. But I think about my church and I suspect a woman like this would feel the same way. Not necessarily because of the people who are there because they never visited, but that's the reputation. They kind of feel like that's only where good people go. Not bad people. Not unforgivable people. Could our actions and thoughts be a little like that of the Pharisee? We can't touch someone like that. Now, if there's any hint of a possibility that our attitude might be like that of Simon, the Pharisee, have a look at verse 40 now. Verse 40. Because Jesus answered Simon, and he says this, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, Simon said. Jesus says, two people, verse 41, owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. And neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. That's an interesting story. Why would you come with that story in the middle of the party where someone is gate-crashing with an unforgivable past who is known to be a sinner to all and sundry? That's just a weird thing, isn't it? Plonk right here in the middle of this account. Well, let me try and draw a parallel for us. In Australia, the average income per year is about $80,000 for a full-time job. $80,000. 500 denarii was one and a half years wages. So let's say that's about $120,000, one and a half years wages. 50 denarii is about one and a half months wages. That's about $10,000. So let's pretend that the Commonwealth Bank lends you $120,000 and then lends your friend $10,000. Okay, you get $120,000. Someone who's not here at church gets $10,000. That's because they weren't at church. I'm glad you're laughing. That really wasn't a joke. Right, okay. And let's pretend that a month later, the Commonwealth Bank rings you because of economic circumstances. They've had an incredible profit of some kind. So let's just, let's just stop anybody from paying us back because we'll just cancel their debts. Now, who of you are actually going to feel more grateful to the Commonwealth Bank? You with $120,000 cancelled? Or your friend, who is not here at church, with the $10,000 debt cancelled? 
Well, it's a no-brainer, isn't it? It's you with a $120,000 debt cancelled. You with a bigger debt cancelled. You are the one who's going to be more appreciative. Now, you come back to the scenario that Jesus paints for Simon, and Simon grudgingly acknowledges that to be the case, right? The one with the bigger debt cancelled is the one who is actually going to be more appreciative of what's going on. So Jesus goes on to explain this story in verse 44. Look at verse 44, the small number 44. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears, wiped them with her hair. You, Simon, did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as a great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. You see what Jesus is saying? He's saying that she, this unforgivable woman, knew that she was a sinner who owed an incalculable debt to God. And when she looked at the darkness of her own heart, when she looked at the darkness of her own life, she had nowhere else to turn but to Jesus. I wonder whether you've ever come to a point of recognizing the darkness in your own heart. I wonder whether you've considered the debt that we owe God by rejecting him. Every lie, every inappropriate or lustful thought, every piece of gossip or slander, every desire to covet, for more of what is not yours, every action that has not pleased God. Why, if you search into your own dark hearts, that's incalculable. But this God, this one known as Jesus, is willing to forgive. So when this sinner finally understood the depths of her incalculable debt that Jesus had forgiven, she couldn't do anything but weep. It was because she was forgiven much. Jesus had forgiven her all her past sins that others couldn't forgive. He loved the unlovely by forgiving the unforgivable. Do you see the ultimate forgiveness of Jesus? Do you see how incredible that is? And dear friends, if you know this forgiveness, that should take our breath away. That should bring us to our knees. It should intellectually and emotionally stagger us. Does it stagger you? Does it really stagger you? Or do you come here week by week because, well, that's the cultural thing to do and I love singing songs and I love getting chocolates and I love getting whatever it is when we gather together. I mean, that's wonderful. But this is what gathers us, isn't it? It ought to be the unbelievable forgiveness of Jesus and the grace that that is bathed in. That's, 
That's why we meet. That's why we're Christians. But please note who Jesus is. Come now to the last few verses, verse 48. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. See, the other guests at the table know exactly what Jesus is claiming when he forgave her because they knew from their Bibles that only God could forgive sins. So only God could cancel the incalculable debt that she owed him. And so in saying, I forgive you, Jesus is claiming to be God. And by implication, Jesus is claiming to be not only her God, but therefore her king as her God. Because this is precisely how this woman treated him, didn't she? She treated him as her king. Now, in those days, you treated kings by anointing their head with oil. That's exactly what happens to our queen, our monarch. I can say our monarch because we're not a republic, are we? We're still part of the Commonwealth. So we have a queen. And when Queen Elizabeth II was coronated, they actually used oil and they poured it on her head. They anointed her with oil. Did you know that? That's, that's exactly what goes on, right? That's what you do with a, a monarch. You anoint them with oil, then, and that's what's happening here. Now, when, when um, Charles becomes king, if Queen Elizabeth passes away, well, the rate she's going, she might outlive Charles at this point in time, might she? I mean, she's just going stronger and stronger. So who knows, whoever the next one is, they'll do the same thing. They'll anoint them with oil when they become king. What does this woman do? She feels so unworthy to approach the head of Jesus, she anoints the feet of Jesus. She probably couldn't even afford oil, so she pours perfume on his feet. Her actions show that she loves him, Jesus, as her God, as her monarch, as her king. And so if we know how much God has forgiven us, then we too will love him as our king. For whoever is forgiven much, loves much. Whoever is forgiven little, loves little. Do you get the point? If we know the forgiveness that Jesus offers us, then we will treat him as our king, as our Lord and Saviour. And this sinful woman did just that. Whereas Simon, Simon the Pharisee, doubts whether Jesus was even a prophet, let alone God. And that's why he needs forgiveness as much as the sinful woman. I wonder how much more you and I can identify with Simon, therefore, as opposed to the sinful woman. Because most of us probably are not known as sinners by reputation in Cooper's Plains, if you live in Cooper's Plains. I take it that if you go to the local shops, wherever the local shops are, I don't know if you shop locally or not, but wherever you go, wherever most of you do your shopping, Aldi or wherever the cheapest shops are, which is, I'll go to Aldi if you do. Um, wherever the cheap, whether you walk into the shop and then people think, aha, sinner. You know, they, they think of you that way? You are that, right? No, I take it that you aren't identified as sinners. You don't, you're beyond scandal. If anything, 
you and I, we can appeal to our moral record, can't we? Because look at us, we're here for starters, we're generally good people, aren't we? We're generally good neighbours, we give up a lot of time to help out maybe at our children's sports or our children's musical items because we have our children learning two or three instruments or something like that and they're all doing Amos and above. Of course, that's a trajectory that we all go on. Uh, we're maybe a, a good friend to others. Uh, we don't really drink and drive. Why, we're generally good people, aren't we? We're here. We generally work hard and we want to do well. And maybe you come regularly here to church, you attend Bible studies, you go to Christian camps. And, and so some of us, why, we're even secretly proud of our achievements, aren't we? Secretly. My children do. And they or I'm you don't tell people, but you know, just secretly. Just deep down inside, we're kind of secretly proud of our achievements some way, somehow. A couple of years ago, uh I was going for a, a, a little exercise up our street, but it was really windy on the night before, and all the garbage bins that were outside, the auto bins, had actually fallen over. It was really early, uh, dark, and so I, for whatever reason that morning, decided to pick up the bins. And I came to the top of the street, and I looked down, and so all these bins raced up, and then the streets ahead, all the bins were down, and I looked to myself, and I thought to God, I thought, Richard, gee, you're good. You're so good. And no one else knows that you, God, and Cooper's Plains Evangelical Church. Deep down, we feel like we, we might be good. That ever happened to you? Ever, ever, ever? And I wonder whether deep down, therefore, we can feel sometimes that we owed something for our goodness because we expect our goodness to pay off somehow. And if it doesn't, if something goes really wrong, if stuff goes wrong in your life, then you start to get confused or even angry because you feel that God owes you for your moral record. And that's how Simon feels. Do you identify with that at all? You see, the truth is that we owe God. There's nothing within us that merits his love. Nothing. No matter how much we've been through, no matter what good we've done, it can never reach his standards, ever. You know, there was a time when I recall when my dear wife was passing away from her cancer and I was the major caregiver, my children had it to be in a particular place, I had to do all the, and I was just holding the fort in various ways, just hanging in there and then things just continued to go wrong and there was a particular point that I thought what is going on Lord she never did anything that was especially tied to this particular kind of cancer and she was a GP herself and we had not done anything that was seriously wrong. Why? 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 I can I can remember thinking those thoughts. But you see, I got all it's as if God owed me or owed us for the kind of life that we lived. 
And you see, that comes to a point that we either reject him outright like the woman did or use him to get what we want, thinking that he owes us. But we can never, ever do enough to pay him back for our debts, ever. We can never be good enough, religious enough, moral enough, because our debt is incalculable. But Jesus is willing to forgive the incalculable debts of both the sinful woman or the proud Pharisee. Whoever you identify with, Jesus is willing to forgive you. How? By paying all the debts for us himself. Jesus died the debt that you and I deserved on that first Good Friday. Jesus paid the incalculable debt that you and I owed. Jesus rose again from the dead to give us life. It's all about Jesus. And Jesus wasn't an innocent third party paying off our debts to God. No, Jesus is God whom we owe our debts to. And as God, Jesus cancels our incalculable debt in ultimate forgiveness. You see, this is the sweet water that Anita Smith drank from when her life was jolted the day her husband was murdered. This is the sweet water of forgiveness that she wants her husband's murderers to know is on offer even for them. But what about you? Do you want this forgiveness for yourself firstly? Because if you're not sure where you're at, this would be a great time to turn back to him. And if you know this forgiveness, is this the kind of forgiveness that you can bathe in in order to offer someone else forgiveness who has really hurt you? I don't know where you're at, but either way, look at Jesus. On this Mother's Day, look and stare into the cross of Jesus. Bathe in his forgiveness there, and by his grace, continue living for him or turn back to him. If you want his forgiveness, all you need to do is to ask for it. I'm going to pray a prayer that you can pray with me if you like. If this is what you want to pray, then please pray with me. And this is for those of us especially who would like to ask God to forgive us of our incalculable debt. But please pray with me if you would like to ask God for that. Dear Father, I know I owe an incalculable debt to you. Please forgive me. And thank you for paying my debt in full by sending Jesus to live and die and rise for me. Please help me to love Jesus much as my God and my King.
to do so in loving others and offering forgiveness to others and to do so in living gladly for Jesus no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in. And Father, we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thank you so much, Richard.